0: In this episode, Natalie and I discover a shared nostalgia for happy days reflecting on an interview with Henry Winkler, and we see an unexpected side of our hero, Arsenio, in his interview with Vanilla Ice. Stay tuned. From the east coast of these United States, as far from Melrose Avenue as two people can be without falling into the Atlantic Ocean, this is Growing Up in the Dog Pound. Props to Arsenio Hall with Jamie and Natalie. like that, we travel back in time to Boston College, 1988 to 1992. Natalie! Hey, I remember that call. (laughs) Yeah, now that we told that story, that's how I think of you in my head.
1: Natalie! (laughs) Oh no! Hide the beer! Mom is coming up the stairs!
0: (laughs) Oh Lord. That was a good one. So that was an unexpected occurrence when your mom showed up unannounced. He sure was. Another unexpected occurrence. We were hanging out, um, you know, just maybe studying, maybe watching TV, maybe eating some nachos, who knows. And we heard like a weird racket outside the door. (laughs) Do you remember the incident I'm talking about? I think (laughs) I
1: do. There was only one that like produced like, like everybody came out of their hallway door to see what was happening type of thing. And that would have been the flooding incident.
0: So we heard an unusual sound that we couldn't figure out. And then we noticed a little bit of water coming in under the door. (laughs) And pretty much everybody noticed this. So we went to the door. Maybe we were all getting our feet wet and we peeked out. And it turned out that... The guys downstairs thought it would be a fun prank to flood our hallway. These kids. (laughs) I know.
1: And I remember at the time just thinking like, oh, they're just being stupid. But I wasn't
0: like mad or anything. No, because we were not going to have to clean it up. And it was only a little water in our room. So, you know, it was kind of just... Silly.
1: And then and somewhat like it broke up, broke up the monotony of like whatever we were doing, eating nachos or studying or whatever it was, you know, it was just like something, I know. something to
0: do like, oh, look at these
1: idiots flooding our, you know, hallway.
0: Yeah. And it brings everybody out. It's like a little kumbaya moment. <laughs> but uh, one thing I couldn't understand about it was, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of carrying water for any reason, Natalie, but it is very heavy.
1: Uh, I. Yeah, I don't... Right now, I'm sure I have in my
0: life. I just can't... Like, you think of even carrying a gallon of water. It's not trivial. No, no, it's not. So they probably had uh, 200 gallons, maybe, to flood that long hallway. They
1: had a lot of time time on their hands. Or were they drunk? Well, we'll get to that in a minute.
0: I mean, they could have been drunk. It was a weeknight. I remember that because it was... Everybody was home. Nobody was partying. But anyway... It's not like we had a hose or a spigot. So I I don't really get the mechanics of this or why it was a fun prank either. But anyway, and another problem with it is if you do that, you can't really run away. So it's really obvious who did it.
1: Did they Did they figure out who it was? I, that I don't recall, but we'll, maybe we'll get to that part of the story later. But I, I don't know if they ever figured out exactly who did it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I read somewhere that, At the time we were at BC, another common prank was pulling a fire alarm. Yes. And that's actually more dangerous because firemen... I think the year before we were there, a fireman fell off a truck and died in response to a stupid fake prank alarm. So that's terrible. Yeah.
1: And no, and that's like you're getting one for, you know, you're getting like, you know, actual officials involved. I I would think that, yeah, that's more serious. I
0: mean, you never know, right? Somebody could like be standing in the hall with a hairdryer and get electrocuted with the stupid water. Right. Oh,
1: sure. Things. Yeah, that's true. Like everything is serious. But it's like. And then it's like you have to think about, like, who conceived of this idea? Was it like just one person and everyone was like foolish enough to just follow their, that person's lead? Or like, how did this come up? <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah,
0: it definitely could not be accomplished by one. Person. No. So it had to be but then a then you, team. You
1: know, like, I'm just wondering if it was one bozo, like convincing everybody else, like, look, let's just
0: do this. And they all just went along for the ride. Yeah, this would be great. So funny. The only thing I can imagine as a motive is like we all did come out. So if you wanted to see all the girls on the third floor come out, that's something. But it's kind of. Yeah. But then it's like it's not like you can use that like
1: to gain a girl's attention. If anything, we're going to be like, you're stupid. You know, (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do recall like uh, a certain someone we will call her Lauren. A certain someone uh, Mm -hmm. was complaining that her
0: Benetton sweater was damaged due to the flooding incident. Yeah. The reason I thought we should talk about this story for this episode is that the uh, Vanilla Ice episode of Arsenio that we're going to talk about later involves an unexpectedly cold interview from Arsenio. Unexpectedly cold questions. And so this person, Lauren, uh, had a major had the major complaint of everybody on the hall Mo- most of us just thought it was silly but Lauren complained that um the water got into her room and ruined or potentially ruined some of her wool sweaters and at the time very brightly colored wool sweaters were fashionable yes they were and Benetton was the the number one brand oh
1: yeah Benetton was it I remember those like early teen years whenever Janet from upstairs I'll never forget that was her thing it's like ooh you know anything benetton was cool and it was expensive and you know so yeah benetton
0: was it was very best expensive yeah. I remember I had one count it one Benetton sweater. <laughs> your parents were like, "Oh no, we're not going to invest in more than one."
1: So you 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 make sure you you take good care of that one sweater, okay?
0: <laughs> I actually think that it was a gift from somebody else
1: because it was like not even your parents. Beyond,
0: yeah, it was beyond what my parents would buy. But this person, Lauren, had many. <laughs> yes, she did. And I want to say I could be having a
1: Mandela moment or something like that. Or no. I want to say she even said, like, this is a $70 sweater or something like that. Yeah. Do you recall something along
0: those lines? I agree. There was some mention of money. And I have to say, BC is an expensive school. Mm -hmm. However, I never got the feeling that there were a whole bunch of rich kids. No, no. There
1: was a good mix. I would say
0: probably middle
1: class, working class kids, kids on scholarships. There was a big mix there.
0: Yeah. So this was um, surprising and maybe a little irritating to the rest of us who didn't have any sweaters to get ruined by the water. You know, this was <laughs> an unusual comment that she made. And I remember uh, a young lady across the way who's really
1: nice. We got we both thought she was pretty nice. And I want to say her name was um, I think her name was Diane, Diane. And Diane just kind of looked at looked at Lauren and said, hey, that's what you get for making Benetton a hobby. Something like that. <laughs> and I thought. Ooh, you're right.
0: (laughs) It was such a good line. It was. (laughs) And to come out of nowhere, like the flood happened. I'm sure she didn't know the flood was going to happen and potentially ruin Lauren's sweaters. But (laughs) to come up with that on the fly was just stunning I remember how hard we laughed yeah and she she was well I, you know when you think
1: about it behind that was like are you kidding me is that your is it is this what you're going to say right now that you have all these expensive sweaters and that they were damaged like you you sound like a prima donna you sound like some kind of diva like you yeah, could see that like that uh, she totally resented that like what you know like you could see it on her face well,
0: yeah it was like the rest of us don't have that <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> I don't know if you noticed yeah but. <laughs> uh we're very you know we've we only got like a few things okay Okay,
0: (laughs) and we're happy with those
1: few things that we've got. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was funny. It was funny. funny. Those were good moments.
0: I don't know what happened to those guys, but I read for the fire alarm prank. B.C. got serious Um, the same year, freshman year, a kid pulled a fire alarm on Newton campus. So he would have been a freshman. And not only did he pull a fire alarm at two in the morning, but when the campus police came, he was like drunk and belligerent. Wow. And they suspended him for a whole year from school. Wow. I know. Yeah. I don't think those guys got punished. They certainly didn't get that kind of punishment. No, I don't think they would have gotten that, but hmm, I wonder what they did get. So in this episode of our podcast, we're talking about an Arsenio episode from August 17th, 1990. We're into the second year of Arsenio's show, and uh, we can see that he's He's feeling it a little bit. He comes out, instead of a suit, he's wearing a a very brightly colored leather jacket. (laughs) Very brightly colored. (laughs) Yeah, it's got like traffic lights on it. And, you know, I'm not one to criticize trendy fashion from years ago. I I think it looks fine. I think that was in style and it suits him well and it's happy and no issue. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought it was interesting that he's... He makes a little tour through the audience, hugging people and the crowd seems louder and right, it's he, like he's at a different level of success and that's yeah. being that's reflected in how he's choosing to move around. Right, and he he talks about um when I was driving in today to the show from Cleveland, that's that becomes one of his um running jokes is that he he acts as though he's coming from Cleveland every day. Just I suppose because he wants to emphasize that he's a real guy. He's not someone who was born in Los Angeles. Right.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It's a it's an
0: interesting uh, choice on his end. I think if you watch the beginning of this episode, you get a good idea for the feel of the Arsenio Hall show. He's he's in his groove at this point. Yeah. I, I agree with that. You can see that sort of evolving, like
1: that confidence and just pushing the boundaries a little bit more, yep. you know, and having the audience to the side. I forget what he, what he has for the, the dog pound. And
0: yeah, you feel happy for, him. I did anyway, you feel happy that he's, he's not looking over his shoulder thinking he's going to get canceled any minute. He's It's clear he's a hit, you know. Correct. And he would be a hit for what? Eight or nine years more, right? Oh, no, I think it's only six, almost six years, six years. It's a pretty good Mm -hmm. run. It is. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it appears on first blush, it's kind of a mystery, you know, why was he so popular and then faded away. But there were some dynamics in the late night world that changed, you know, at this point, he's really competing only with Carson in that time slot, which is not hard, because he is geared to a younger demographic. And over time, he ends up competing directly with David Letterman, who is a a direct threat to his audience base. And then there's a um, Chevy Chase show that lasts for like a minute on Fox, but it causes some affiliates to drop Arsenio. And that is kind of a kiss of death, I think, that you can think of a lot of Come up with a lot of reasons why the show didn't last longer. But I think that resetting of the late night schedule was really rough.
1: Right. Absolutely. It's a lot of competition. It's a lot of great comedic talent out there having their night shows. And it's hard. I mean, he's wonderful. And I mean, at least he got a six year run and he had a lot of really great guests, a lot of, you know, memorable moments, at least.
0: So he did a lot in six years. He did. So his first guest in this episode is Rosie Perez, who is adorable. She is. Oh my God, she looks so young. <laughs> she still young. Dimples. Yeah, she still looks great. I don't. It's not like she's aged a ton, but she's. She. You know why she looks so young? I think is that she's definitely quite nervous.
1: I know, and I think the most adorable part was Arsenio
0: holding her hand almost basically the entire interview. I know. He said he starts the interview. Says you're not nervous, are you? And he holds her hand and. I actually wondered if maybe he brought her out first because she was so nervous, you know, when you just want to get something over with because it's freaking you out. Right.
1: I mean, she did a good job, though. I mean, she, you know, she was funny and
0: she was charming and everything else, but he was holding her hand. (laughs) Yeah, she does perfectly fine and she has plenty of things to say. But I noticed when they go to commercial, you know, she's not on mic, so I'm just reading her lips and she says to him, I'm so nervous.
1: Oh. I, I actually didn't catch that. Yeah,
0: but. I think I it was a second viewing. I was like, look at that. It's not just for a show and he's not just holding her hand to be cute or anything. She's really struggling.
1: And he's so sweet to do that. You know, like I don't really see that anymore. Like, you know, like that somebody would just sincerely say, hey, you're nervous and I'm just going to sit here and hold your hand and we're going to get through this interview. It's I mean, it's
0: totally adorable. I know somebody could make a good study of Arsenio's body language because he doesn't have that desk that Johnny Carter has. So he's leaning in or he's resting back in the chair or he's holding someone's hand. You know, it's different for everyone. I feel like he's everybody so far anyway, that anytime he's had a guest, it's like,
1: I don't know, it's like, I'm all into you. I'm all about supporting you. I want to make sure I'm being fair to you. You know, like, I don't know, he just seems so tactful and conscientious about everything, you know, what he's asking about and there's just that, that, I don't know, just cordial, like, I'm here for you. I'm not going to try to embarrass you. I don't know. It just seems so sincere. Maybe I'm reading too much
0: into it, but I get that feeling. No, I think that's true. And it's only good practice because he's planning on a long run. He doesn't know it's only six years, which in itself is not trivial, but you want these people to come back. And if someone feels like they didn't get to say what they wanted to say or they got the bums rush or something, they're not going to come back. Right. Exactly.
1: But it's like he, you know, he does his homework. He knows what's, you know, he wants to present people in the best light. I I find that to be the case. But the only time I didn't find that to be the case was about
0: a a guest that we'll talk about later. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There's an abrupt contrast in a a later piece. (laughs) But for now, he's Mr. Nice Guy. He's holding her hand and she's got these cute little dimples that show up every time she laughs. And the thing is, she's impressive. You know, I actually
1: read that she never set out to be an actress dancer. She was going to study biochemistry. Yeah. And she was discovered by a talent scout at 19. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I mean, she was a naturally gifted dancer. And, you know, I guess she was at a a dance club and was spotted by a soul train scout and then eventually ended up on the, you know, on the (laughs) on the memorable Soul Train show. I don't know if you ever watched Soul Train, but
0: I I loved it. I did. I wasn't a regular watcher, but I saw it from time to time. And I know a lot of people got their start there right
1: and she was one of them but it's amazing like i don't i don't know much about her dance background i mean from what i understand she's a just a natural dancer and turned out to be this talented choreographer and you know which resulted in her job with the you know with in living color and and she did a lot of uh, choreography for different music videos for janet jackson
0: ll cool j so she's yeah and, and amazing. hopefully with any luck we'll be able to hear from my friend shannon who actually teaches hip hop dancing. Nice. I I don't know that she was even born at the time of this episode, which is kind of frightening, but um <laughs> <laughs> Shannon and I carpooled for a while and at one point she said, "I don't know if you want to know this, but I'm pretty sure my mom is only 1 year older than you." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Ooh." <laughs> I said, well, at least she's older, right? But, but anyway, she she is a uh, Shannon is a choreographer in her spare time. That's not her job, but she she also has taught hip hip hop. And I wanted to kind of pick her brain a little bit about what is the hip hop that is taught because when you talk about Rosie Perez being a natural dancer and even others at that time who were dancing, they were picking up. Moves from the street. There was yes, no class. That's and right. I'm curious to know. I, I think it the hip hop that's taught is probably quite a bit different from what is naturally occurring or or occurred in the 90s. But but still, it's interesting to me to to think about how those two things relate to each yeah. other. Yeah,
1: and you know, just again, you know, and I was looking out for Jennifer Lopez. I thought maybe Jennifer Lopez was one of the fly girls that was performing on the show, but she wasn't.
0: But you know Yeah, a- so Rosie Perez brings the Fly Girls to Arsenio and for anybody who wasn't around at this time, the Fly Girls were an all girl kind of dance troupe that uh performed on In Living Color, which was a um I don't know if it was a half hour or an hour comedy sketch. I wanna show. say it was a half hour Jamie. I don't think it was that long. I agree, it wasn't very long.
1: Yeah, and they did a great, I mean, they were great dancers. And Jennifer Lopez was, you know, one of the, uh, the not the original fly girls, maybe, but she was a fly girl for a period of time. and yeah, um, yeah, she got her start there, which is hard to believe. That's kind of a random place to get your start. It is. It is. And then, you know, she got into movies, and we all know the rest of that that history, but... But yeah, but Rosie's is a she's a very talented person, and she's also a writer. Um, she in 2014 she wrote her own autobiography. So it's nice to see wow. how she evolved from you know you see her you know getting you know having her hand held by Arsenio, and then you realize you know what she's going to do in the future. You know, as far as activism, you know she's definitely done a lot in terms of you know activism in terms of Puerto Rican rights and AIDS-related causes and.
0: So she's got a big voice. Yeah, she's impressive, especially because her childhood was not great. She talks about being a product of an affair between her mom and someone else. Yes. Her dad, obviously, but her biological dad. And uh, as a result, she was moved through different homes and was in a convent, um, foster home for a while and nothing good. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, some, some bright spots. I I've heard of worse things, but it's hard to believe that she was as focused as she was after all that mixed up upbringing.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's just a true miracle, you know, like she did have a rocky, rocky start. And she did uh, say that she suffered abuse and that she, as a result, has PTSD and anxiety. And yet, despite all of that, she's been so successful as a choreographer yep. as an activist as
0: a writer amazing lady yeah uh in this interview she talks about um acting in i what i think is an hbo movie called criminal justice yes which i was not familiar with i didn't watch that so i don't really know much about her acting uh but she's an authentic person so i would i would guess that she's got the acting chops
1: yeah she she's pretty she's pretty good you know i enjoyed watching her and do the right thing which was her first movie role. And it's interesting to see because you see her dancing so effortlessly. And little did we know According, you know, in terms of what she said in the interview, that it took her 12 hours to film that initial, uh, you know, the the uh, the opening, the opening with the music with Public Enemy it took her 12 hours to dance, you know, to get that film just right.
0: So, yeah, and that's a lot that of dancing. But <laughs> yeah, and she says that she had choreographed something. I, I forgot what to what song and then Spike Lee changed the song. So yeah, it was just kind of winging it. Right. And it looked great. So, yeah,
1: I I, I love, you know, I've seen her in in different in different things and and she's always very authentic, just a natural talent, really natural actress and a natural dancer. So I don't think she sings, (laughs) but
0: no, not a triple threat, perhaps. But it's interesting because we said in the past episodes with um, Sammy Davis how it's a little heartbreaking to watch these in retrospect and know that he's going to die the following year. Or any number of these guests, you know that something's around the corner for them that that makes you a little sad. But in her case, it's all good. You know, you look back and you say, good on you. You know, you were nervous then, but look what you became. She's a survivor for sure. So our next guest is Steve Martin, the original wild and crazy guy. Yeah. And he's on to promote his movie, which is coming out called My Blue Heaven. Yes. With Rick Moranis. Yeah. And they don't talk a lot about the movie. They have a clip and he sets it up a little bit. But like you said, Arsenio is considerate. And at some point he says to him, hey, have we talked enough about the movie? Are we good to just talk about other stuff? Which I think is sweet. You know, making sure that Steve Martin feels he fulfilled what he came to do. I I caught that as well.
1: And it was, I mean, it was a good interview. Uh, I, I mean, there were interesting moments in the interview. I liked when when Steve talked about, well, well when Arsenio asked him, hey, do you ever think about doing stand-up anymore? And he said that he stopped doing stand-up because he, he felt like he had done it all. Like he really yeah. kind of exhausted that, you know, that there was nowhere to, to for him to, nothing else for him to reveal. So that's why he stopped it and, and has been in, in movies and whatnot.
0: Well, talk about an interesting thing. I don't think people realize how old he is. I'm not saying he's you know, elderly or something, but he's at the tail end of comedians that didn't really become popular on the stand up circuit. So he says that he performed at a club called The Prison of Socrates. Yes. (laughs) Which is kinda crazy. And he was the only comedian. By the way, so that's I don't want to digress, Jamie,
1: but you do realize Mm -hmm. that your friend Natalie did actually see the the prison where socrates spent uh the last uh days of his life with my dad no, when we went I to greece i did not know that yes they they still have it uh as a you know it, it's a landmark that you can see when you go to athens it's right near the acropolis and so um i thought about that when he said <laughs> I thought, yeah, is he, is he being truthful? Is, was it really called that? And uh, but yeah, go on. I was digress.
0: It, was it an actual building? No, it was like a like a cave like oh,
1: situation. I mean, right. This was like eons ago, and um, so and as we know, he committed suicide. Did he not? Socrates committed suicide. Oh, I might have my have, history facts wrong. Is that right? Yes. So um, anyway, I did go there and dad thought it was pretty thrilling to actually see where Socrates spent his last days. He was very happy I found that spot.
0: Anyway, let's let's get back to this. That's a worthy diversion. (laughs) So, okay, right away, that's a little weird. It's not the last factory or anything. It's a club where he's the only comedian. He was on the writing staff for the Smothers Brothers. And I'm going to guess that he's one of the last ones to become popular on the basis of comedy albums. Maybe. There were, there were no, you know, he wouldn't have had a following from comedy clubs. There were no or very few specials, comedy specials on TV. Those didn't happen until HBO. And yet I knew him. I knew his act as a child, which is interesting because I don't think we had any albums. So I don't know how he was able to kind of penetrate and become successful with what was available. It's not like today, you know, where you hear clips on social media and you see the comedy special on Netflix. It's amazing to me that he was able to work that system and become popular.
1: I think that, I mean, I don't know that I'm 100% accurate here, but I think that it might have something to do with how he broke into films because he broke into films early. He was able to like really shine as a star. He made quite a few films. Somewhat
0: early, but I don't, yeah, he did, but he he was on things like uh, we were talking a couple episodes ago about the Muppets. He was a frequent, I think, guest host on the Muppets. And first of all, that's for kids and it's super mainstream. I just I can't I'm happy for him I just I can't put the pieces together of what came first and how he got a career going I mean kudos to him right But it's not it's not the way Arsenio came up or Eddie Murphy came up you know
1: it's funny because one of my f- favorite movies that I enjoy watching him in is Father of the Bride. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yes. He's I mean, very he, sweet. He that. always plays like, you know, a good family man, funny. It, 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 he seems to have found his niche in a lot of those movies like cheap. Is it cheaper than a dozen wh- where he's the father of 12 kids? Is that what it's called? I might have my.
0: Uh, I think it I know the saying is cheaper by the dozen, but cheaper I don't by know that dozen. movie.
1: I, it, it actually might be titled that way. But I mean, anytime I've seen, I mean, he's done some really, some really nice dramatic roles, but also with comedy elements to the, to them. I think he was able to find his niche and that made him a household name. You know,
0: he was Yeah, lucky. he's really sweet in the movies that he does. And I like him. He's good. However, and not all the movies, like My Blue Heaven, he's kind of goofy. And although one thing I have to say about, talk about a diversion. All of the movies that are promoted in these episodes that we are watching are like total duds or not total duds, but obscure and so hard to even remember them being released. Like I keep waiting for the Arsenio episode where we uh, we see someone talk about a blockbuster movie. They just seem so oddball. I don't know if 90s was a bad time or what. But anyway,
1: (laughs) yeah, because honestly, I've never seen my blue heaven.
0: No, I, I barely even remember it existing.
1: Right. And I'm not really big on Rick Moranis either, although I, I can appreciate his talent. But uh, and he did have a lot of success with those movies that, uh, you know, like Honey, Honey, I Shrunk. I Shrunk yeah. Kids. So yeah, I'm not
0: a big fan either. And he was supposed to be they said he was supposed to be joining in this interview and he didn't make it. But oh, but yeah, he doesn't he probably doesn't need us as fans. He's he's doing OK. But um, Steve Martin, bef- before he was an actor, his comedy was really silly. And it's similar to how he comes out onto the Arsenio stage and he makes a big deal that he trips on something and he says, what if your guest tripped and you had, and he fell into the couch and you had to do the whole interview speaking into his butt, you know? (laughs) And that, that silliness and that physical comedy is what he was known for when he performed in stadiums and, um, any any stage actually and that's what that's why I think he was a good fit for like the muppets because he used his physicality a lot that you don't see at all in something like father of the bride right exactly
1: it's like such a yeah it's such a uh, it's the opposite thing there um you know we got to remember too he was a host for saturday night live so there was another yeah. you know avenue for him to showcase you know to to promote himself so to catch someone's attention and so Maybe it was a question of him getting the right audition for a movie role. Um, and that also helped her. You know, he did. he's done a number of things over the years. So it's hard to pinpoint any yeah. one thing that really, you know, put him on the map.
0: It's just it's a funny contrast to me, like how silly he was in his stand up, silly and physical and how kind and calm he seems to be as a human. And also in most of many of the acting roles that he's taken, he, he seems to have two sides to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess as a child, the thing that I remember most is the wild and crazy guy that that yeah. whole snippet. Now, where did I actually see that? Like, did I see it on? Like, I know. Carol Burnett show? Like, where did I see that?
0: I, ha- I don't know, because I was thinking the same thing. I actually remember that being on Saturday Night Live. And I remember there was another a comedy song he had about King Tut that Used to make me roll, and that was also on Saturday Saturday Night yeah. Live. So yeah, I think that was performed a few places, but the only one I would have possibly seen was Saturday Night Live. So I, I did have like the ability to watch that. My parents were not strict, and it was Saturday night and whatnot, so I could. But it's surprising to me that I was even aware of him.
1: Right, right, but I, I, you know that the, you know Saturday Night Live is like magic dust. You know, it seems like anybody who comes up that way will usually like land movie roles, and I mean. People become successful because of their association with that show. So well, and then
0: a lot of people think Steve Martin was a cast member and he was not. Interesting. Because of, it, Only because, host. Because of his, you know, monumental impact,
1: you know, like he was so funny doing those roles and, but. Uh,
0: yeah. And he, he seems like
1: the right type of person who could have been a cast member. He just didn't happen to be. It's interesting that people confuse it, but it's, again, it's because, you know, they, they remember all the good stuff,
0: all the good, com- you know, great comedic moments And although he's older than Arsenio, I think it's funny that Arsenio picks up on the fact that Steve Martin started as a magician. Yes, (laughs) that uh, both of them did. Steve Martin says, "You know, it's an easy thing. You learn a few tricks." (laughs) And you've got to act, you know, and actually his first job as a teen was at
1: Disneyland. And that's when he really got into the magic stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's when he really started to learn that. And every experience builds on another. You know, you have that experience and that informs, you know his comedy, you know, his comedy routine later on or whatever else he chose to do. He incorporated the magic into it.
0: I've heard it's hard to get a job at Disney.
1: (laughs) I would have loved to have a job at Disney.
0: I know. That's like, hey, did you, did you catch that he did merengue in this interview?
1: Yes. And I, and he was like, (laughs) he was doing it right. He was (laughs) good. He was moving (laughs) his body correctly. And I yeah, appreciate it for anything. No, no, he was doing the right thing. And he says, it looks hot. You know, he looks easy, but, you know, you kind of have to get into the the rhythm of it. And, you know, it took a
0: while for him to get it.
1: Is what he Yeah, said. I thought
0: that was cute. I think that was for My Blue Heaven, right? He learned that. Yes,
1: for that movie, which I, I haven't seen, which maybe I need to see so I can.
0: I don't know. Some of these movies that are promoted in the episodes are real duds, but <laughs> it's hard to imagine him being a total dud. Yeah, no, no.
1: He's usually, I mean, I've, like I said, I like Roxanne.
0: That's another movie I enjoyed. Yep. So got, and they talk got about a lot of good ones comedies don't tend to win Oscars, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, that is just
1: part of our bias as a culture. Why does it have to be a dramatic role? Comedy is hard. You know, you have to know the right timing and how to deliver a line. It's not easy. Nope. Plenty of
0: people are not funny. Yes. True.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not us. We're funny. No,
0: we are. (laughs) (laughs) Arsenio seems like everyone's best friend, But we learn in our next two segments that celebrity culture in the 1990s could get testy. Listen to this story about comedian Tom Arnold's beef with Arsenio and later to Arsenio's frosty encounter with Vanilla Ice. So we're staying in 1990 for our second episode. I caught in the monologue that it is Halloween Eve, for whatever that's worth. And in the monologue, Arsenio mentions some kind of a feud with Tom Arnold. Yeah. So I researched this. Yes. And what did you learn? So again, uh, Arsenio's reboot in 2013-2014 answers the question. Tom Arnold was a guest on that reboot. And he explains that Arsenio made some kind of a crack about Roseanne, Roseanne Barr, that Tom Arnold was married to, that um, Roseanne took offense at and she mentioned it to Tom and he said, you know, like a good husband, I, I took it to heart and I was going to defend my wife. And so he showed up on the Paramount lot and asked to see, the, like furious, and asked to see Arsenio. And Arsenio was surprised, didn't understand what was going on. And he sent someone out to tell Tom Arnold, get this, that kings only meet with kings. So he would not be out to talk to him. Oh, yikes. Isn't that good? That's kind of cold. It's very cold. It's a little conceited, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, he said that he happened to have a book on his desk that was either called Kings Only Meet with Kings or, you know, reference that and that he saw it and and thought it would be funny to say that. Basically, he didn't understand why Tom Arnold was furious. And I don't blame him, did not want to go out in the parking lot and, you know, confront him. I guess we Um, don't know the actual comment that was made by Arsenio, do we? Yeah. He said that. It was regarding a photo, like they showed some kind of photo of Roseanne and Arsenio joked about it. Maybe now I'm I'm kind of forgetting when Roseanne sang the national anthem at a sports event and it was terrible. I don't know if that would have been around this time or not.
1: It was close to around that time, but I don't know
0: that that was you know the
1: reason for the for the comment or anything.
0: Yeah, that would have been a reason she would have been in the news, but uh, right. Anyway, they've they've patched it up now. By by 2013 2014, they were broing it up as they say. Good. <laughs> you can't be mad at Arsenio. No. And and I think any comedian needs to be able to take a joke. Yeah, right? true. No, we don't know what he said. If it was super mean, then we take that back. But yeah, I, I mean, we'd have to research it
1: further to find out exactly what
0: he said, but
1: couldn't have been that bad.
0: I know. Uh, the first guest we have in this episode is Woody Harrelson, who I will go on record and say... I've never been a fan. I know that people love him and he doesn't need me to be his fan, but I, I, he's just always come across like a frat boy to me and I, I just can't vibe with him.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I, I never really like
0: disliked him or,
1: you know, I, it's been he's, he's okay. You know, he's a good actor. He, he's turned out to be a pretty decent actor. He's done some really challenging roles over the years. And it was fine. It was a little odd. I mean, we didn't really get to hear much about him because the whole Cheers cast appeared out of the nowhere. And that kind of just, you know, that was the end of the interview with Woody,
0: really. Yeah, he's not on long. I think he gets the time alone because I think he has a movie to promote. But again, they don't spend a lot of time on it. No,
1: they don't. And then the only thing I felt bad for Arsenio was when Arsenio... Congratulated him on getting an Emmy, and really he hadn't gotten an Emmy, so it was a I thought he
0: was trying to insult him on purpose. I was personally clapping for that he says something he says congratulations and what he says oh you mean on cheers on on the 200th episode of cheers and arsenio says oh you know in the emmys and he says he didn't get an emmy and i thought he was uh purposely giving him a dig but maybe you're right but why would he be purposely giving him a dig because maybe he thinks like me that he's a frat boy and he (laughs) needs to be taken
1: (laughs) you know jamie and arsenio they have the same (laughs) mindset (laughs) Don't don't get fooled now. They're one and the same. <laughs> no, I, I I thought he legitimately made a mistake and felt embarrassed by it. I want to say he put a, I, unless I'm misremembering. I think he put his head down after
0: he said it. Like oh, oh like oh, you could be right. You know, yeah, that would be oh, bad. No, boo boo. <laughs> um, Although he you know he clearly has a lot a big career even at this point. So it's not like he needs an Emmy for Cheers. No.
1: No, it was interesting that he brought up a political issue on the show. It shows a little a I lot know. about him that he was talking about, and a
0: political issue to do with California. Like, come on, the rest of us don't live there, bud. We don't care about your
1: yeah well, ballot I, items. I'm gonna be gentle with him. I, I'm gonna say that he felt like he could use his platform as a, as an actor to promote the idea of like, hey, you 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 all should vote all all you California citizens, you should vote yes for. 128, I, I guess it was, and no for the other, which I think was like 135. I forget what that was, but it was some kind of law against the petrochemical industry. I don't know. It just showed that he was that it wasn't just about him, that he was thinking about something that
0: affect, affected his fellow citizens. We'll have to be agree to be good cop, bad cop. Honestly, cause <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I can be the good cop for Woody. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like yeah. a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan, but he's done decent work. He also did a pretty good acting job at, I think, People vs. Larry Flint. I think he did a pretty decent acting job there. So he's he's shown some range. He's also done a great job in the movie Game Change, probably in 2010. I, I forget exactly when that came out, about the Sarah Palin's oh, involvement. I
0: didn't see that.
1: He played Steve Schmidt. He played the campaign manager for uh, John McCain, and he did a great yeah. job. You know, he's a, he's a decent actor, for sure. He's a good actor.
0: Yeah, I won't take that away from him, but hopefully, you know, another show will come up where you don't like someone and I can stick up for them. Yeah, exactly. It'll, oh, it'll happen. <laughs> it'll happen. <laughs> so you're right. He doesn't have very long by himself, and all of a sudden, Ted Danson and Kirstie Alley and Rhea Perlman. Uh, can we
1: talk about Kirstie hey. Alley? buddy?
0: everybody from Cheers comes out. Yes, I know. Every, I don't know. Everybody came what out. What they're but, doing.
1: <laughs> but can I say something about Kirstie Alley? Yes, you can. She was weird. She was weird. She was. She said, you know, who hasn't slept with Woody Harrelson? I thought that was very strange. She said that? I didn't hear and her say that. I thought maybe she was, had, was, you know, uh, on something.
0: I think... I have read that she is like when she started Cheers, not necessarily at this point, because it's 200th episode, but when she started Cheers, she was very, very nervous. And Hmm. before her scenes would be chain smoking offset. Oh, and yeah. And um, it just struck me that maybe she's an awkward type, like a kind of an overcompensator, you know, Mm. someone who says a bunch of crap just to be lively. And then you realize when you're shooting off at the mouth like that. Sometimes you say stupid things. Right.
1: <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> I thought it was bizarre. I mean, she's really talented. It's interesting to see that she would get so nervous before. Like, was this just early on in her career and then that went away? Or was this just something that she always kind of contends with?
0: It seemed like, and I actually, I know someone who uh, is a fan of hers and he likes her because she's sexy, but not perfect. Yeah. He thinks that both the character and she are um, goofy. Yeah, she's got that appeal. She's very
1: beautiful. I mean, she was yep. You know, she's definitely very beautiful. But um,
0: so I think whether she's nervous all the time or not, I think she's not a smooth person, you know. Right. And apparently that was I was like, whoa, who hasn't slept with them? I'm like,
1: no one's really going to answer that question.
0: I don't think it was meant to be answered. They were all talking at the same time and it was kind of chaotic.
1: Yeah, it was. And then it became a water party.
0: Water fight. Yeah. (laughs) But, what is up? I don't know what they are doing they're They're all in the paramount lot, apparently, for them all to just come over like that. But a bunch of them are in like bum clothes like. <laughs> Right, like, we're just here to hang out. I mean, it like, wasn't... Really I, I don't think really was stay-at-home type clothes. I think oh, they just wanted to be on. cash. Well, they no, knew- they were seriously dressed down. For example, she makes a comment about it, about her outfit, which is really, like, looks like it's laundry day or something. And then, what's his name? The guy who plays Norm. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, I can't think of his name. He's in, like, shorts and a T-shirt.
1: It's almost as if they were...
0: Told like, hey, come over right now or something. Yeah, like for, for sure. For the
1: moment, but they all, you know. But remember, they also probably knew that there'd be some water battle, and they they probably didn't want to like dress too dress up too nicely, knowing that they were going to just I mean be drowning okay, in water.
0: But the okay, they're all dressed down except for did you notice BB Newworth? She's like hotsy-totsy. You know what? She you're says, right. Yes, I uh,
1: Fraser's girlfriend on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. She was looking looking good. She's got
0: a tight black mini dress on and heels and looks perfect. And nobody else is anywhere near that. I think perhaps they felt like they could
1: just come out any way they wanted to because they were going to be there so briefly. Perhaps that was the reason that they yeah, came and, out and, that way. You
0: know, Arsenio has that reputation of anything can happen. It's not all planned. And if they were, you know, on the Paramount lot to do a reading of something and that's how they, yeah, then good on them for showing up. You know, it's nice that you don't have to be worried about how you look all the time.
1: Yeah, it could have been that, or it could have, you know, it it looked like, I mean, it had to be somewhat planned, I think, because they already knew that the 200th episode of Cheers was going to be the following week. So I can't imagine that all these people showed up and it was just like very little planning. I mean, it could have been, but it just seems odd.
0: Yeah, but they don't even like fit on the stage. They're like standing (laughs) up.
1: (laughs) And Norm is just like sitting in the corner. It was weird.
0: Yeah, it was weird. And Ted Danson says that he's not wearing his toupee. Yes. And you could you could tell that he
1: wasn't wearing his toupee. You could definitely you tell. Could tell
0: I never knew. Like all these years I've heard that he wore a toupee. And I assumed that it would be from the front back because he has a pretty good, at this point anyway, a pretty good hairline up at the forehead. Yeah. I, so I <laughs> thought that was the toupee. Right. But no, it's, a, it's for the bald spot
1: on the top of his head. You know, I used to really have a crush on him. Really? When Shelley Long was on the show, I really liked Mm -hmm. Shelly Long. I thought she was a really strong, she had a comedic actress, had great timing. And I just, you know, I was much younger then and I just thought he was really cute. And I was like, always, you know, dying for Shelley and him to get together, you know? And when they finally did, I was like, Oh, you know, well, I say Shelley, but it would have been Diane. That was the character's name. Yes. But I was really like, I, I, lo- I thought he was really cute. And now I look at him, I, I really don't think he's that cute anymore. I don't think he's
0: unattractive in any way. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Do you think it was like the Sam Malone persona, like the way he was acting that was attractive? It was everything.
1: You know, he's got a very sort of rugged manly look. And, and I do, I did like the persona yeah I don't know. I thought he was I thought he was pretty 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 hot back then
0: yeah I don't blame you he's that's a reasonable choice and one of the reasons that I thought it would be good to include this episode in our podcast is that Cheers was phenomenally popular, and it even was written up in our um college newspaper the day that the cast visited downtown Boston. There were pictures of them, and because we were in Boston, I think people watched it a little bit more. But man, that show lasted forever and was just never, ever dipped. Like you mentioned Shelley Long and Diane. She left the show and it still managed to go on replacing the female lead, which is really rare. It is. It's hard after mm-hmm. such a strong
1: actress like her leaves. It's hard. But Kirstie Alley really did a nice job filling in that. And and also Fraser's girlfriend, whose name I don't know. I apologize. Um, you the know, lists. Lilith. I mean, you know, these are all good, good, funny female characters.
0: Yeah, they said that uh, Frasier and Lilith were not meant to be like regulars. They were both brought on as, you know, maybe two for two guest spots or something like that. But they were both very popular. So they got lucky that way. You know, the show got new life. It did. Yeah. And then we know that Frazier then had
1: his own show and Lilith went off with with him. Right. She she was a regular on Frasier. I don't
0: know about regular because in that show they were divorced, but I, I do think she came on from time to time.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it was a great show. I mean, I watched it for many years and I was in love with Sam Malone. Yes, I was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that show was popular. Um, I almost want to say more popular, but I could be wrong, in the UK as well because they have more of a pub culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we have bars and stuff, but that... That particular idea of a place where everybody knows your name and norm lands there every day that's a New England thing I think, yeah, and it um resonates with people in the uk so it was it got a lot of uh fans there too yeah no I that
1: that's interesting to know. I'm just thinking like when I was younger and I would watch that I go, oh you know when I get older and I'm like. Out in the working world, I'm going to go to a bar and have friends, you know? (laughs) I know. And and now it's like, I'm going to say, yeah, Natalie. (laughs) And now it's like, I don't (laughs) want anybody to know my name. So it's like, (laughs) it's
0: not what I thought at all. But yeah, no, it's a fun show. It was a good show. My misconception based on sitcoms was that I would grow up and live in an apartment building and constantly be popping into other people's apartments. Right. Like, cause that's what grown ups do. Right. <laughs> Even people who live in apartments probably don't do that.
1: No, nobody does that.
0: <laughs> no. Although uh, that's a little bit like dorm life. I think I did. I did experience that at BC.
1: Well, when I watched a different world back in the nineties, I love a different world. I'm blanking out on everybody's name with Denise Huxley, Huck- Lisa Bonet. Lisa Bonet. Who's wonderful. She's a great actress. Um, I used to I you know I thought like when I go to college it's going to be like that like I'm going to have adventures and all these friends and I'm going to have like boyfriends and you know like so you know it kind of fit into my fantasy of what college life was going to be like for for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was accurate. That was not just a sitcom portrayal.
1: Right. It's like no there were like fraternities and you know the 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 music everything fit. You know, everything was like fit my reality at the time.
0: So we got another guest on this episode who is just so huggable <laughs> who is I think it? we both agree who is it so huggable who <laughs>
1: Henry Winkler yes I love him
0: oh my god that was great huggable right
1: yes totally huggable
0: he was uh, meaningful to me because as Arthur Fonzarelli on Happy Days for me he was an Italian role model that I could see on TV <laughs> that's right that's right I told that to someone I know, and she said, "Well, you know Henry Winkler is actually Jewish, right?" I was like, "Yeah, but I was, you know, ten. I didn't didn't research the actor.
1: (laughs) He did such a great job, like that. That it was such a he said it was such a part of our early that '70s culture. The Fonz. I mean, he was, you know. And it's funny when he talked about, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but when he's talked about playing the Fonz, he said that it was everything he wanted to be. That that's what the Fonz represented. Everything he wasn't.
0: And wow. it's true.
1: There's a big contrast between Henry Winkler and the Fonz. I mean, Henry Winkler's just he's not, you know, like he's just a sweet guy. And Fonz was sweet, but it was like he was cool, sweet, you know.
0: Right. Like, he and was gonna... kind of sexy. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And not to say, I mean, you know, Henry Winkler's attractive, but, you know, Fonz, like you said, he was like, you know, sexy and all the girls wanted him and, you know. But I enjoyed the interview. I liked that he said that he was wearing the tie that his wife got for him. So oh. already
0: I thought, what a sweetie. He says it's his birthday. Is that did he say the tie was a birthday gift?
1: You know what? I th- I made I might
0: have missed that.
1: I'm not sure on that point.
0: Could be. Could be a birthday gift.
1: But it was you know, I did learn something new during that interview. I didn't know he was the being, you know, that MacGyver was his baby. MacGyver, the the TV show in the yeah, seventies, produ- right?
0: One of the producers, One- anyway, of MacGyver, and he really was into it. It wasn't just like he gave money or something. He was driving the show. Right. And he was interested. He said he was
1: interested in a character that just didn't use his physical strength, but used his mind that it was, you know, like he wanted a character that was a little bit more c- cerebral, a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know, you know, intellectual in that way. Well, I don't know if he was an intellectual, but somebody who wasn't just about his body. So it was interesting that I, I didn't know that he was he, he was the, the mind behind that or
0: one of the minds behind that. Show I definitely did not know that. And I'm actually a Henry Winkler fan. So that was bad on me. (laughs) But he that was a home run because he's right. MacGyver became a word in in, an English word, meaning to figure something out with, you know, use of minimal tools to get out of a a bad situation with scotch tape and a matchbook, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny how you that's when you know you've you've done something special. When your Mm -hmm. show and it's not like, you know, that now the title of his show is used as a word that is part of people's culture, you know, part of people's vocabulary. That's amazing. Yep.
0: That's hard to do. Yeah, it is. And he did it more than once. You know, when we started today, I said uh, something like, okay, are you ready? Is the red light on? And you said, Correctamundo. Yeah. You know where Correctamundo is from. Happy
1: day. Fonzie. Yes. And I didn't even really think about that.
0: I just said. Nope.
1: Because I thought it would be Natalie cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Earlier today, I was uh, on a work call and somebody said, um, hey, did you write this? Because there's a mistake in it. And I said, no, I didn't write that. And they said, what, you can't admit you were wrong? And I said, oh, I can be wrong. But I didn't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. He could never say he was wrong. And I thought he was cute. Like back you know, like we were little. So I, I definitely thought the Fonz was the cute guy on, on Happy Days, for sure. Yeah.
0: And it, uh, that's another case, too, where I think he was not intended to be a major part of that show.
1: Really? You think so? Really?
0: Yeah. I'm I'm nearly positive. I think that's why one of the reasons why Richie Cunningham, who comes up in this interview.
1: I know. Richie Cunningham
0: had an older brother mm-hmm. in the original episodes, and they just wrote him out. And I think it's because the Fonz character was, you know, taking up more oxygen, and they wanted to give him more room to breathe. Right, right. Now, one thing that was really interesting about the interview was
1: his, his being very candid about being having dyslexia from a child, you know, I don't know that he was diagnosed with it, but it was frustrating for him because he was really, you know, not great at math, and that kept him from being a, you know, a really good student.
0: Yeah, it makes you sad because he talks about not understanding that the teachers are saying he's not living up to his potential. He's not applying himself. And he's saying, I'm trying as hard as I can. Right. There's nothing else I can do.
1: And I also, and he
0: said that dyslexia was not known at the time. So nobody knew what was wrong with him.
1: Right. I mean, we've
0: got all kinds of support systems
1: now, you know, different things that for kids to get to, to, to work with, with that disability. But you know he he didn't you know there, it it was a different time and it was amazing that like he talked about his dad and how his dad was was tough you know dad was mm-hmm. his dad was really smart really good at math knew eleven languages so it was hard for his dad to understand what was wrong like why why can't you you know bust out more than a C in math you know but that was just you know that's just something and, and it, it's it's great to see how he was able to get past that, you know,
0: and, you know, it's funny. We both watched the same episode. We both took notes. I don't recall that at all about his dad. <laughs> oh, I read that about his dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> I read that.
1: <laughs>
0: so, sorry. I, I,
1: I, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of went somewhere else. Thought,
0: man, I was not really paying attention. <laughs> No, I mean, and the thing is, he always wanted to be
1: an actor. And I'm so happy that he was able to be successful, that he was able to find his niche that way and that he was not deterred by his earlier troubles with dyslexia. You know, you know, that's one thing I don't think he hit upon is how he was able to overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. And overcome it, like just overcome the fact that like, hey, you know, I know I have it. I know I have to cope with this thing. I'm not going to let this get me down,
0: you know. He's certainly a positive spirit. And we talked about Richie Cunningham. Oh, yeah. And Richie Cunningham calls the set and wishes him a happy birthday.
1: I love that. And he was filming the the movie Backdraft. Which is good. I haven't seen it, so it made me want to see it.
0: Yeah, that is a good movie. Now, that's unlike some of the ones that actually get promoted on here. I haven't (laughs) watched it since the 90s,
1: but it was good. And it was just fun, like, to see, like, you know, I was just calling, you know, to wish you, oh, right, to wish you a happy birthday, he said, right, to, to Henry mm-hmm. Winkler. And I love it. Like,
0: you know, right before he hung up, he said, I love you. I oh, know, I love that, that down, too. And it seems so natural, too, like, of course you called me on my birthday, and of course I love you.
1: Right. And it's like he didn't, like, and Ron Howard was like, it's good that you're on the show and everything, but... I'm going to keep this short.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to
1: prolong this madness. I just wanted to call and
0: say happy birthday. So. And he says that he, uh, who knows if this is true, this doesn't sound possible, that he called Henry's office and they transfer him to the Arsenio set. It seems impossible. Right. Seems a little odd. But they odd. do seem surprised and he is definitely on a speakerphone. Right. Yeah, it
1: seems natural. I mean, maybe it was, you know. So, yeah, that was a, that was a sweet moment. Very much so. Too bad we couldn't have Ron Howard on the same show, too. But that's OK. Henry Henry's enough for both of us.
0: Yeah, you never know on Arsenio. People just come around the corner.
1: I know. Seriously. It's like, oh, <laughs> by the way, he's
0: not really filming Backdraft. Here
1: he comes. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. That's early days for Ron Howard, too. He, you know, became a tremendous success. But he he did. I he think did. Backdraft might have been one of it. He's only 36 at this point. They say his age and that might have been his first movie. I don't know. Yeah, well, probably one of his first movies. So we go from sweetness and light to, I don't know what you call the next interview that we watched. I know what to call it. What?
1: Ice, ice, baby.
0: (laughs) Ice cold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we moved to 1991. And so we're in the following year and we go online for this one because it's not on the DVDs. And this is one of the most famous Interviews from the Arsenio Hall show. Is it?
1: Oh, I bet I I was not aware of.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, just because it's so different from others. Well, it sure is. (laughs) Yeah. So we should say he comes out, he performs... First. And I want to say he and performs well.
1: Yeah, I think he's a good dancer. I didn't at the t- you know, I again, can I just say that Natalie of the of the 90s of the early 90s just mm-hmm. thought Vanilla Ice was not a true hip hop artist. I just I liked hardcore rap. And I just thought he was not really that talented. I was wrong. He is talented. And when I watched him dance, I'm like, you know, he's he's good. He's a good rapper. I don't know why I was not open to him. But anyway,
0: yeah, he's. I agree. He is talented. However, I thought at the time that he was a damn fool and <laughs> I didn't want to waste any time on him for that reason. But there's no taking away, particularly the dancing, the rapping too. But I thought the dancing was impressive, although people make fun of the running man now and he does an awful lot of the running man. but
1: He does, but it's hard to do the running man. <laughs> I, I challenge anybody to get up there and,
0: and do what he did.
1: It's hard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't really have any moves, so to speak, so I can't really criticize him. I'd like to think I have some, but... (laughs) (laughs) I think you have more than I do. You at least (laughs) can merengue. But he's all decked out and looks like a spaceman in this metallic green and silver and black getup is the only way I can describe. And his hair is like... Hairsprayed to absolute solid state.
1: Yeah, I, didn't, I don't like it. it. I don't even know what to describe it as.
0: But at the time, it was it was cool
1: on some people. Yeah.
0: The hair, I can deal with. And he toured with, he opened for Hammer. And so he got some of Hammer's style along the way. Right, right. That makes sense. Uh-huh. So he performs uh, Play That Funky Music. And when Arsenio introduces him, he says that the night before, at the American Music Awards, Vanilla Ice won favorite new, is it rock artist? Pop, it was pop, rep- rock, and rap at the American Music Awards. He won two awards. Okay. If, from what I understood. He won two awards the night before. Arsenio introduces him that way, and Vanilla Ice performs his little ice heart out, and it all seems good. Until... <laughs> and move to the couch
1: <laughs> until a man in yellow <laughs> comes. You know, well, because oh, Vanilla yeah. said I want to give a shout out to my to my boy, something along those lines. Flavor
0: Flav, yeah. and uh, that was really, really awkward. No kidding. Out comes Flavor Flav, who's pretty popular at that point. Public Enemy is a big deal, and he's a hype man, right? So. That's kind of a significant person to bring along with you. Oh, sure.
1: And uh, I just didn't expect
0: Arsenio to say,
1: hey, Flav, do you mind just taking a seat back? That was odd to me. That was really odd. That Uh, really
0: makes you think it was impromptu, right? Because Flavor Flav comes out and Arsenio tells him to go away, basically. Right.
1: It was, uh, you know, I I think that he was able to sort of um, clean it. Arsenio was able to clean it up a little bit afterwards, but it seemed a little like Rude at, at the, in that moment. That's what I felt like. Ooh, that's a diss. He's got to go back and sit down. That's what I felt at the moment. And then later on in the interview, things changed a bit, and I we, I, we got Not to understand a
0: lot. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is a like a hostile interview. It is. It is
1: because, uh geez, uh, where do we begin? First, I mean, he brought up the comments that Vanilla said the night before. That I don't think I want to repeat, but it was. Uh, they were negative comments. Well, about it's not people.
0: that terrible. He says those that tried to hold me down can
1: kiss my white a.
0: Right, and at the time you
1: couldn't say a. Now you can. Yeah, you can say, a, you can say a on a. TV, but at the time, so I guess it was censored out on the West Coast. And he said, you know, he basically said that he felt like the press was attacking him, that the press was constantly saying that he was lying about his background. And, you know, that uh, people didn't want to give him the credit for, um, you know, uh, exposing a wider audience to rap, which he did do successfully. And, you know, that's all well and good. He just, uh, he his energy was just a bit negative, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, there's a lot of controversy about where his bio came from. So the record company distributes this bio that says he went to school at a certain place and he was a motocross champion and he... Grew up in the hood and blah, blah. And some of it is like patently not true. Right. And he blames the record company. The record company blames his manager. The manager says ICE told him. Who knows where it came from? Again, to do with his uh, 2013 show, Arsenio was interviewed about this interview. And they said, you know, what was up with that? Why were you so angry with this guy? And he claims, I don't know if it's true. But he claims that he was given false information in the prep for this evening. Mm -hmm. And he only found out, you know, shortly before air that it was wrong. And he was very angry that he would have been put in a position potentially to tell the audience false things. Well, that's interesting because, well, we can take it in pieces. First,
1: uh, well... We can take it out of order if we want to. With MC Hammer, he said he had talked to Hammer the night before and that Hammer felt that Vanilla had said some really negative things about him and, you know, was upset about it. So when he was asking Vanilla Ice questions about Hammer and whether he had said negative things about him, you know, Arsenio was clearly already sort of taking a side saying, well, you have said negative things.
0: And and I felt like he's friends with Hammer and that's where this is all coming from you know, you insult my friend, somebody insults Natalie, I'm not going to be too nice. Right. And, and you're going to take it as fact. If I talk to you, Jamie, and you said,
1: you know, so-and-so insulted me, that's a fact that that happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not disputing that. And so I, I've already came in with that perspective of like, you know what, you, you said these things. My friend told me you said these things and you know, and so he was right away saying like you did say negative things and Vanilla was like, no, that's the press. I never said that stuff. I never said I was sexier than him. I never said I was getting more screams uh, during our shows. I never said any of that. And so, I mean, unless he's lying.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know because he's this is the problem is at this point everybody thinks he's lying. But at least he says the right thing in a public for him. So maybe if MC Hammer really was mad at him, he can see he's um, respecting him publicly.
1: And I'd like to think, I don't know too much about Vanilla, but I'd like to think that he would probably stand his ground. Like if he did
0: say those things, he'd be like, yeah, I did say it. but maybe. Yeah, I don't think that. I think he's a damn fool. <laughs> <laughs> at this stage in his life in 1991. I, now, Maybe not. He was about our age. So he's about 53 now. So, okay, a few years older, but if he's a fool, I don't blame him because he's awfully young. Right. So we all evolve. We all grow. And
1: he also was, you know, smart about how he handled the whole Flavor Flav thing. That was tough too. Ooh, I felt the tension.
0: Ooh, ooh yeah. Listen. Arsenio said, "What did you bring him out here to show us that you had a black friend?"
1: Yeah, that that and people booed Arsenio, which was kind of tough to to hear.
0: Yeah, that was tough. People were on the side of Vanilla Ice, I
1: would say. They 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 were in in that moment, and I think that you always run into trouble when you make that kind of statement, and uh, you know because people are. You know, they're not going to just say, sure, that's the reason why I did it to show, you know, they're going to say, no, he's my friend. He said he was my homeboy. That's all. is what he said. Um,
0: Yeah. And, you know, they're not expecting Arsenio to behave like that. Normally, he has a guest and he treats them as a guest, right? You know, he's, we said before, he makes sure that they're not embarrassed. He makes sure they say what they need to say. So the audience probably is surprised that he's this angry at him. Right. And and the thing is that even in being angry, he tries to be
1: like careful about how he presents himself, but he he definitely must have had it in his mind that you know i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna set it straight i'm gonna I'm not gonna back down from from asking questions that might be uncomfortable. Yeah. He was ready he was ready for a little mini war, you know he
0: absolutely was, but I don't
1: know if vanilla. but Ice vanilla ready, didn't but, but vanilla didn't give it to him no, he didn't give him a war. You know, and he just said, you know, the press has said a lot of things about me. And I don't know, uh, you know, to what extent he might have lied or, you know, not been forthright uh, about the comments that he made about Hammer. Um, But I do know that it sounds like he did. In fact, you know, like he was, you know, in his early years, he, he learned how to break dance. He learned how to rap. And he did that on the streets. You know, he was in, you know, different rap battles. I mean, it was a little odd that he said that, you know, that most white people can't dance. That also made me uncomfortable because uh, I I didn't think that that was an appropriate comment.
0: But he, yeah, he says, you know, that I grew up around black people because most white people can't dance like that. Right. Yeah. And Arsenio tries to call him on that and says, you know, you're going to make white people mad. And he says, you say the same things. Yeah, he did say that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think this was interesting. I think Arsenio was probably geared up and ready to defend his friend Hammer, to get into little war, to talk about. He, he was. I think he was mad when uh, Vanilla Ice g- gave Flava, Flava a shout out. I, I don't think he was happy with that. I, I, you know, I think that's why he said Flav. Can you, you know, because then he later said during a part of the interview he said, you know, I. You know, you called him over, but you know, I, you know, I w- we weren't prepared to have him to interview him, right? It he was thinks to be- that
0: he's going to use Flavor Flav not only as my black friend, but as a shield, distraction. Yeah. From- yes, I think you're right. Yeah, he says that actually. He says something like, "Well, we had that little distraction, but now we're going to get down to it." Right. Yeah. It was. I hope- it was odd. <laughs> I hope anyway that he. Gave some indication beforehand that this was going to be a tough interview, because I don't like to ha- have anybody be ambushed. You know, you think you're going to sit down for something and then the person is just a real freak about it. So I hope he, I hope Vanilla knew. He must have
1: had some inkling that some tough questions were going to come up, even if it's Arsenio, so. you know, Arsenio's relatively you know friendly. But even so, because it's been so much criticism from the press that he, he probably knew that there were some questions that were going to be tough.
0: You know, another thing that could be fueling it, too, is that, and Arsenio mentions this, not just me speculating. The rap's been around for, what, since mid-70s? Yes. I mean, maybe underground before that, but the first albums would be then. And the first rap artist to top the charts, the first rap recipient at the American Music Awards is white. Right, And that set people off because they saw possibly a, a Elvis part two. You know, here comes this guy who takes the credit for music that's not his. You hit. know, I never realized that that was the first hip hop
1: single to reach the top of the charts. I had no idea that it was Ice Ice Baby. We've all heard the song a million times, but I didn't realize it had that impact.
0: Yeah, I definitely did not. I thought that was a novelty song and I wouldn't have thought it went to number one. And I guess by thinking of it as a novelty song, I didn't think of him as a a serious rapper. I just thought of someone who got lucky. I thought of him as someone who got lucky and got a hit.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is now as a, you know, again, this is all we're looking back and we see things differently. Now I see that he was a true talent, just a little misguided, but he, well, he, he wrote, he wrote that song when he was 16 years old. Well, perhaps.
0: He's had that. There's also a there's somebody who says he didn't get writing credit. There's always like a weird story in the background with at that age. Not necessarily now. I don't know.
1: Well, what I've heard now is that he I don't know that he's still doing it anymore. But after um, because he had a really rough patch, he endured a really rough patch. He tried to commit suicide. And after that, he started doing less mainstream stuff. And he did develop an underground following for a while. So
0: yeah, I actually heard some of that stuff he did, and I have to say it wasn't bad.
1: Yeah, I, I think he, I think he's a talented guy. I just think that he, you know, it, it, again, it's a personality thing. It might be him that he's not always
0: able to make the right decisions, and then maybe didn't have the proper guidance. No, he didn't have good guidance. His his dad wasn't around, and right. I don't I forget. I forget what is what was up with his mom, but it didn't seem like he had someone looking out for him.
1: No. So, you know, again, you know, when somebody's able to break out on their own, it's always impressive given that they're not, you know, they don't have much to work with to start with. Right. Right. But uh, it was an interesting interview. I was, (laughs) I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in the beginning and I was uncomfortable at the, you know, when he was talking about Hammer was, it was uncomfortable as well. Yeah, it
0: didn't get easier. And I was very surprised because we talk about Looking back on these things and what we expect in 2021, looking back on a 1991 interview of Vanilla Ice, I would never have expected someone, anybody, much less Arsenio, to be so riled up about this, in my mind, fool. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not worth. The, my first reaction was, this is not worth your energy. He is a fool. Like, forget it. Right. But. But he's a fool that's topping the charts and is successful. Yeah. In the moment, you have to reconsider and think a little differently about what this could have seemed like. Like as far as what? Well, it could have seemed like he had a big career ahead of him and he was going to take, you know, the place of black artists who more legitimately, so perhaps, uh, had a right to succeed in that area. Right.
1: And that and that's what was going on. And I think that, you know, Arsenio, you know, felt like he needed to make sure he was advocating in some way for his his friends who are also, you know, you know, a hip hop artist.
0: Well, that didn't but I, happen, but that didn't happen with Vanilla. No, that didn't. And with re- in retrospect, you know that. So you are even more apt to think he's a fool. But I couldn't deny that I was surprised by the crowd. I mean, they really loved him. Yeah, they did.
1: I mean, he was a huge success. and then, But he, what he did was he opened the door for other artists who are looked at and who are respected more than he is, like Tupac Shakur and yeah. the you know, Notorious B.I.G. and a lot of different artists that are
0: uh, have a, 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 I guess um, more a better, street cred. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're saying you realized he had talent upon looking back and my revelation was that I thought even at the time that everyone thought he was silly, but I could see from the audience that, you know, he was truly popular. I I couldn't deny the the financial success of his single. And then I read, I don't know when this was, I think it might be after this interview. He dated Madonna for like a long time. For
1: like nine months or so. Yeah. I had no idea. And I'm a big Madonna fan. I feel like I know everything about Madonna, but I did not know that.
0: So clearly, people didn't all think he was a flash in the pan. Some, you know, she thought he was worth dating. Yeah. And
1: she's the type that, like, I don't see Madonna dating someone who's not, like, on her level creativity. Right. Creativity-wise. She's not going
0: to date an unsuccessful person.
1: Right. And and somebody that she doesn't respect, no, that's not going to happen. Even if it's just a casual affair, she's not going to. No, mess with that. So yeah, that was interesting. I had no idea until I did a little bit of research on vanilla.
0: Yeah, that didn't come up in the interview. Although it's not like they were. It wasn't a you know, friendly going interview. off on diversion. Friendly
1: diversion. It wasn't no, friendly. There, were... there was nothing friendly about that interview.
0: No, and all I would say, all coming from Arsenio, I think if Arsenio had been friendly, Vanilla Ice wouldn't have been unfriendly. Just kind
1: of I don't know out that he was, gate was attacking. I, you him. know, honestly, I don't know that he was unfriendly. I thought he handled. No, he really wasn't. He was just trying to get through it. Yeah, I thought he handled it well, considering. Agree. You know,
0: (laughs) I don't know how else you would handle it. (laughs) And it was kind of
1: like Arsenio's the one that kind of looked looked like the bad guy. Uh, Yeah.
0: But that you know,
1: which he probably didn't think was going to be the case.
0: But he made it through, and uh, if it makes anybody feel better, he does have Vanilla Ice on again. Uh, in the years to come, when Finola oh. is promoting his movie, which honestly looks like a student film, it looks so bad.
1: Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> he 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 got into movies. I knew that he did no, some kind of I show mean, on the DIY
0: DIY uh, oh. project or something like that. Yeah, that's I think going on now. But this was like during the Arsenio first run of the Arsenio Hall show that he had a movie called Cool as Ice. <laughs> and I swear to you, it looks like an after school special with really bad acting. Well, the fact that I haven't heard of it means that it probably didn't do very well. <laughs> but Arsenio has him on and, and lets him promote and does not attack him at all. I mean, he acknowledges the prior interview and he's not, you know, buddy chummy, but he he's buried the hatchet. Oh, yeah. And I might think of him as a fool, but... He's made good investments and is living a pretty good life at this point. Yeah,
1: I'm sure he did not
0: waste that money. He's
1: had some legal trouble over the years. I hope that that has, you know, that he has grown and that he is able to, you know, permanently stay out of trouble. But he has had some some issues with uh, physical assault. Oh, Um, bad. So, yeah. So I, I, I hope that that's way behind him and that he's. Yeah, but he's not place. broke.
0: No. He's not broke, and he's creating shows that people say are pretty good to do with home improvement, and that's rare. I mean, many, like MC Hammer was broke for a long time. I don't know where he is now, but, you know, he should have never been broke. He had at least the success Vanilla Ice had, and maybe more. Right. Yeah, he shouldn't be, but... Mismanagement. We invited our house choreographer, Shannon to talk about the place of hip-hop in the study of dance. She watched Vanilla Ice and The Fly Girls, and we watched Cardi B and So You Think You Can Dance. Knowing that Arsenio's audience was the MTV generation, Shannon began by reflecting on how popular music has changed since the height of MTV.
2: Well, and even because I was reading up a little bit on the show, um, you know, it talked a lot about, Sort of people segueing from there into MTV, and even that I feel like has had a has had its rise and fall in my lifetime. I can't remember the last time that I even thought about watching MTV, or even if it's on the network anymore. Frankly, you you watch all that on YouTube. They drop it on their social media accounts. You know what I mean? It's I. I feel like the more popular stuff today it's like it's like being being weird for the sake of being weird as opposed yeah. to just like sounding good
0: and right. I just like
2: music that feels good and being a dancer that like keeps a solid beat you know like that just makes you want to tap your feet and I really can't get behind a lot of the more like emotional billie eilish kind of crazy songs if i were to if even if they were to play music videos on mtv still and that was still something that was popular i would turn it on and probably be very uninterested in what i was seeing just yeah just i just don't think it's it's as big a part of the of the draw as is like rolling out your music on social media and like teasing it like what do you think it's going to be and there'll be thousands of comments and people will think it's going to be you know Uh, a remake of this old song. And then boom, she comes out with this album. That's like all of her songs done how she would have done them had she not been working with a recording agency that she was working with. So like, it's just, I feel like it's so much more social media oriented and like teasing the crowd. And, and,
0: um, you know, that's a really good point. And it's one of the reasons why I thought of asking you to join this podcast, because when I was watching the old Arsenio episodes, I thought, We just, I don't see this much dancing today. Yeah, I feel like the music is more cerebral today. And some of it you can't even dance to.
2: Yeah, there's, so, I mean, as we said, I I just got married and I just sort of made the commitment for the party portion of the evening. I was going to put anything on there that just made me want to tap my feet. And I really, I was screaming scoping all of the like top pop from today and i just i've hardly added anything i hardly add anything there's a couple songs that michael really really liked that he's heard on the radio recently um by like doja cat and and some newer folks but it's i mean i mostly had like stuff from the day, college days and probably five years ago back to like you know we had fleetwood mac in there and and a really good mix but mostly not a lot of stuff from today. So I would agree with you Jamie, it's hard to find something today that really makes you want to like throw your fist and jump around. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so the whole I mean talking about dancing too. I think your your profet- what I what I was realizing as I was sending you some of the videos when I think about dance performance versus what you had sent me with like vanilla ice and the fly girls. There's a huge difference between a backup dancer and nowadays your professional dancer who isn't in the background like they're demanding right. they're demanding the audience themselves like the the performance is actually about the dance first and foremost over anything else so i think you know i don't know if maybe it's <laughs> they've got to pay a lot more for backup dancers nowadays or, or what but I, I i did have a hard time trying to find a more recent video with backup dancers from any of the you know the jimmies or snl even
0: i think also the concept of a posse Mm -hmm. accompanying a rap singer in the 90s was big so if you didn't have if you didn't fill the stage with folks it didn't look right
2: it was like yeah who's who's in your crew behind you yeah right yeah yeah that's another thing too i mean if the if the caliber of artists Going on Arsenio Halt's show, where like this is a this is an opportunity for you, as opposed to like you know Cardi B already on like you know she's got the top song of the year and she's coming to put it on Jimmy Fallon or on SNL. It's like yeah, she wants to be good, but this isn't going to make her career, right? Whereas maybe right, whereas maybe somebody who gets the in um, in a in a late night show in the 80s and 90s, it was a real opportunity for them.
0: Now, Shannon schools us in the connections between dance genres, touching on cultural appropriation and the importance of fun and confidence for success as a hip-hop dancer. Shannon's own energy is a real treat. If you're feeling down, this will pick you up. I sent that video of um, Rosie Perez talking about the Fly Girls and telling the Wayans brothers, like, you don't understand. These girls don't know how to do hip hop. I'm teaching them from scratch. And she said it was easier because they had dance training. Yeah. So I, I know that hip hop came from the streets, but I don't understand how it resembles in some ways the kind of dance that you would learn in a studio.
2: Yeah, you know it's the it's the age-old tale of the the street the naturally talented street dancer who's never had any experience any training but can come in and dance circles around everyone. You you know you see it and it's in fame and it's it's it the whole step up series is like all based on that. So I can say for my. Point of view. Anytime you watch these like dance competition shows, so I was a huge fan of So You Think You Can Dance. The whole concept was that these these people would audition from any all over the country, all different backgrounds, and they would audition in their style of dance. So Twitch is a very famous dancer and performer who's now he's like the DJ um, on the Ellen DeGeneres Show. Oh, and so he he really broke out from So You Think You Can Dance. Twitch very very popular street dancer, break dancer, just the best there is and like pop and lock and (laughs) he's just so good um so he was a couple seasons in and so that you would so you would audition in your personal best style or, or where you come from and then the whole point of the competition was you'd you'd get paired up with other dancers who come from different styles so maybe he'd get paired up with a ballerina for a few weeks and paired up with a tap dancer for a few weeks and then you would randomly get assigned a style of dance and so the the ballerina and the pop and lock artists would get paired up and they'd have to do a tango. Okay, so it was it was all like putting people outside their norms and I think that show did a great job of just showing how like when you can when you can move your body and when you can when you know your body and you can put it into positions that see, look and feel unnatural to the average person, a lot of times it can translate across across the genres. So, you know, people like Twitch went crazy far, even though he had never any experience, but someone says, okay, I want you to skip across the floor and then jump and do a, do a wild leap with your feet pointed and then land down and pose like this yeah, he's a break dancer, but he can make it look amazing because he has such great body control and awareness. So I don't know that I'm really answering your question, Jamie, and and I don't know that I have the exact answer anyway to like how these things are melded, but I've always looked at dance as this sort of universal language. And once you start really getting good and doors opening to you getting the opportunity to dance in different styles when you when you love to dance it's all kind of it's all fun so i just think naturally these things type they start to bleed you know when when two people from different backgrounds respect each other they they share those they share their their learning so i think it's one of those things that over time has just kind of melded and I love it. I love when I see like a a hip hop a hip hop routine that like all of a sudden the the dancers will like break out into some you know some tap or or some ballet ballet moves. It's really quite. I think it's quite cool. It's hard with dance because there's also sort of like a. There's like a, there's a whole conversation of like cultural appropriation that yeah. I don't think I'm versed in, in being able to truly have, you know, there's definitely schools of thought around it. Like I was in a step team in college for crying out loud and I'm a white redheaded freckled face girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole can of worms. That probably could have a whole other podcast about, but I loved, loved, loved stepping. Absolutely adored it. I loved learning it. I loved getting better at it but was I really, did I really have the right to like perform that style of dance given where it comes from, you know, that its roots are in the African community and it's such a, it's like so deeply rooted in like a spiritual um, experience for people who were slaves. So it's just like, I I don't know that, that that is a place that I belong, but at the same time, I loved and respected it very much. You know, I really enjoyed doing it. So it's, it's hard to say if like a hip hop dancer should be doing ballet or if only girls who grow up in Russia should be doing ballet. You know, it's, I like to think that everybody is just
1: dancing to the music and enjoying it at this point, but. Beyond the moves, is it just a feeling that you have to, for somebody to make that successful transition, Shannon, what do you think?
2: I guess the concept of a feeling it's good. I think it, it I think it's a matter of confidence. I really do. Mm. And at least that's what I would always tell my dancers. Um, I taught dance at a um you know traditional dance school in Greenland, New Hampshire where most of them came up in their like little first ballet classes and then they got into some jazz and then maybe they start learning tap and then you know hip hop was sort of a combination of students who i really like ballet but i want to do something fun or i've never danced before but i want to start dancing with my friends so i would get a whole combination of students that were like never danced before or grew up dancing but didn't really do a lot of hip hop you know i would always just say like the first thing that we're working on is confidence then we'll work on precision That's then we'll then we'll work on making sure everything is in unison but First and foremost, you guys have to look like you're having a blast doing this, and then we can go from there. If you guys are not just totally in it, you will, we'll never get there. We can be as, preci- as precise as we want. We can practice it a thousand times, but it's never going to look the way that a, a, a really great dance troupe is going to look.
1: I love that you start with confidence. That's exactly right. I never really thought about it. But when you just, you know, watching the Fly Girls last night and thinking about it, it's like you can't be bashful with hip hop. So
2: you you have to be confident in how you're moving your body as well like when something feels weird like when you're asking a 10-year-old <laughs> to like you know move their shoulders from left to right but don't move any other part of your body that can be so awkward to them and they have to be confident like living in the awkwardness of how that feels right now when you are coming though from a ballet background every single thing you're doing is awkward every single movement is not natural that's like the the, uh, Jamie and I were texting about this when we were talking about the podcast the background of ballet, it, there's some sort of French term, but it's literally make your body look unnatural, like make your body do things that other humans can't do, or at least looks like they can't do. Like the whole concept of turnout, where you have, you know, your heels together and your feet out, like mm-hmm. people don't stand around like that. <laughs> right? You right. know, so it's all very awkward. So if, if you've grown up as a ballet dancer, or any other type of dancer, really, you're used to putting your body into awkward positions. So getting confident at putting your body into other types of awkward positions is going to translate much faster. That's true. Same thing for the the same. It's the same thing with Twitch going from spinning on his head (laughs) to being able to jump in the sky and make his feet look right. You know, there's there's this level of intricacy around putting your body into into weird positions that you have with practice whether you're starting in ballet or starting with with breakdancing. Right. Um, and making that transition is a much, it's much easier to be confident with because you're already
0: doing it. Since we started doing this podcast, I, anyway, started following Arsenio on social media. He's reasonably active. He's not not like some celebrities where he's posting every minute, but it's been fun to follow him. And we also know that In his comedy special, he says that he thinks Twitter is a little scary because it can be very mean. People can say very negative things and have an anonymous account. And they don't even have to be your friend or, like, related. So we want to show Arsenio that Twitter, in fact, can be used for good. And for each episode of our podcast, we're posting a graphic tweet on our Twitter account. And that account is PodSenio, P-O-D, Senio. Take a look at our account and retweet these. So that we create a little buzz for Arsenio. Sounds awesome. That's great. And even, of course, if you want to at mention him, um, that would be really cool. Because then he'll know that he has a a fan base that really appreciates things he did in the 90s. For example, this show after the L.A. riots. Yeah, that's awesome. Create some buzz. See where that leads. I don't know if you watched last week or so, maybe two weeks ago, Arsenio was substitute hosting for Ellen. Yes, I heard that, which is great. I know. And I saw like, him. And I, thought, I wouldn't even,
1: you know, I wouldn't have even thought he was in the running. Like, so it, yeah. it makes me happy to know that he was chosen and that people think about him.
0: I think he must have like a new agent or something because he did Jim, <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel. And Good. then Ellen, I thought if he were going to do this again, I think daytime would be the place. And the audience that Ellen has, I think, would respond well to him. Yeah. That'd be cool. I don't know. I do like, maybe because I'm just
1: used to the idea that it, he was a night night show host and that he might get a little racier at night. And so that might True. be more, you know, like, so I'm I, so i kind of like, yeah, maybe, you know, he, I, he can do well during the day or night. But it's just I'm used to thinking about him at night. But, hey, I'd be happy if he's on air. It doesn't matter when. Well, Ellen
0: is retiring next year. Oh, I think there's a pretty good possibility that he could take that spot. That would be wonderful because he substituted, I think, for like a whole week. I felt like maybe he was on trial, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think that anytime they ask anybody to do that, it, there's a bit of a trial going on to see. So like.
0: let's all use Twitter to ramp up this buzz. Like, how about tweeting to the Ellen show? Some of our graphics. I think that would sure. Be very be helpful. Wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. In my saner moments, I think that uh, that I'm incapable of uh, starting a viral campaign. But, hey, you got to try stuff, you know? You never know. You never <laughs> know. Remember Podsenio. We found the recording of the Green Line train on freesound.org. Thank you to Craig Hagen. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night and God bless America.